This is the Living Fearless Today podcast, a show that helps men like you and me who are struggling to get unstuck and overcome fear to live confidently and courageously. I'm your host and transformation coach, Mike Forrester, helping you create the change you want now. Join me as I interview men who've conquered their challenges and soared to success as they spill their secrets on how they live fearless today. Well, my friend, today I have Grant Donnelly with me. I'm going to tell you, take your wife. Don't let her listen to this because his voice will have her swooning. So I'm giving you a fair warning. Take your ladies, get them out of the room. (laughs) Grant is an amazing man. We have had great conversations. He always challenges me. And so I am thrilled to be bringing Grant to you this morning. Grant, how are you doing this morning, my friend? I'm good, sir. Thanks very much for having me. Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting because my wife doesn't. She says anyway, she doesn't hear my accent. You know, <laughs> it's kind of weird. You know, we've had this a couple of co- I've done a couple of podcasts myself. Same thing comes up about accent, and yeah, she says nope. It's got an accent. Just every- got acclimated to it. <laughs> yeah, and my kids the same. But you know, throw Gerard Butler on some kind of movie, and they're like, "Hey, Dad, he sounds Scottish." Well, I don't sound Scottish. No, you sound like dad. And I think that's just one of those things is that when you're in a situation and it's there constantly, you lose a sense of awareness from it. And that's what my accent is, at least for my family. I'm like, I don't hear it. I don't think about it. But for some reason, yeah, just it's there. You know, it's I grew up with it. I have been ridiculed about it. <laughs> I don't think it's ridiculed. The last four plus in, decades. Well, yeah. your family may be ridiculing you, but you know, they've become tone deaf to it. But the rest of us are just like, dude, you've got like this step up. This is like an unfair advantage, man. So it's like I think it all depends where you live, Mike. I think it all depends where you live, sir. Oh, that's true. Very true. But, you know, uh, in Scotland, yeah. I'm nothing unusual. <laughs> Although the people who I grew up with would say, um, you think you sound a bit posh now. (laughs) So that's why you went to Canada to kind of get that special visa. I came to Canada. I mean, I think when you grew up in Scotland, an idea is, you know, I love movies and watching movies at the time. I had always this thing is like, wow, that's what America looks like. Well, I know now that's not really what America looks like. But, you know, it was the John Hughes era. And I absolutely love John Hughes and kind of posted about him yesterday. You've seen all these kind of things. And growing up in Scotland, they just didn't exist. So I had this romantic idea of what North America looked like. And just after I joined the Air Force, I had an opportunity to come to Canada. I mean, I kind of pushed the opportunity. I was like, Mom, do we have any relations in Canada? Yeah. I was supposed to move to Canada. My mom tells me, I was like, what? Yeah, I decided not to bother. So there was a huge exodus in the late 60s, early 70s to Scotland and the United Kingdom. And they went Canada, Australia, New Zealand. Some went South Africa. Uh, so my gran actually had a cousin who lived in Toronto. Like, do we know them? How do we get in contact with them? <laughs> and this is back before like uh, internet and stuff. So it's like a phone to somebody else, a, new, a letter to something like an old post stamp letter thing to somebody else, you know, in the time. So it takes about a year to make this connection. And then it's like, 
booking flights. I come up, I took, arrive in Canada, and it's summer, so I'm on holiday for the Air Force at the time, still in training. And I, I walk at the plane in Toronto and Pearson, and it's like the humidity is like, boom. I'd never, I mean, I'm 19, growing up in Scotland, lower socioeconomic background. I'd never really been anywhere. I'd been to Germany once with the school, but that was the only time, and even that was a temporary passport. Uh, so this was my first real overseas trip. And you're arriving somewhere like Toronto. It's like, whoa. And you get picked up, and you get drove through this 12-lane highway thing, and I'm like, whoa. It's a lot of cars. Get to their house and they've got a swimming pool. And I'm like, and they're like, no, it's the average everyday people. And I'm like, this is amazing. <laughs> you know, two weeks of that weather, the pool, it, it just, it just kind of set this thing off at 19. And it was like, I'm moving to Canada. I'm moving to Canada. I'm moving to Canada. And this guy comes in one day to work. So I leave the Air Force. I'm 27, leave the Air Force. They wouldn't assign me on any extra time. You know, the Russians have disappeared. First Gulf is gone. Military's downsizing. I'm like, okay, got to go and get a job. So I joined when I was 18, right? And it's it was, um, for me, that was this amazing coming out thing. You know, it's like, I escaped. It was an escape for me, the way I grew up. It was like, I don't want to be here. Mm. I can't let myself get dragged into this kind of environment. Right. And the military was my get out. But, you know, when I left, what do you do? Like most people, move kind of back close to where I grew up, you know? So I got a job in tech. I didn't fit in. Turns out I kind of get a big mouth and I don't suffer fools gladly. So it got me in trouble. But I decided to leave. I didn't, they didn't make me leave. I did big head, but I was good at my job. I wanted to be the best at my job. Whatever I do, I want to be the best at it. So I would learn and all these kind of things. So the first job I had, I was doing the job of people two levels, three levels above me. Because of the structure within the corporation is the arrogance that I have a wee bit of is like, a degree doesn't help me do my job. Well, I'm not getting one. Well, it might not help me do my job, but it stopped me getting a better job. Right? Yeah. So it's like, yeah, okay. Sometimes your arrogance works. Sometimes, you know, somebody needs to slap you about the head. And make you wake up to it but i left that one and i got a job in motorola i saw back in the days before smartphones you know any of your older audience would remember remember these things that you used to have a like bad back if you carried them or a big strap we made them motorola long enough to see them getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and moved into a reliability engineering department this guy walks in and goes and he passes me this piece of paper you know before again really internet when we used to advertise all job vacancies in the newspaper. You know, don't think it happens any longer. And he's like, there's a company in Canada looking for people. I'm like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Like, it's like, I'm applying. And I look at it and I go, you can't get a job in Canada. You're not an engineer. I'm applying anyway. So they actually specifically called it engineers. And I knew enough about coming to Canada as an engineer. It's like, designations and all the rest I knew no degree wasn't happening so he's like I'm applying you're applying well I'm applying then <laughs> it's like yeah you think it you think so well I'm going to do it too and a year later I get a job with this company called Research in Motion that most people 
even today probably don't know how they are. And the guys that made Blackberry. And I go to Comic Canada in 2000, and that's how I got here. A pure random chance. But I'll say it's one of those things, you know, when you, you talk to people, it's like, oh, you're, you're fortunate or you're lucky. No, you're prepared. It's like this opportunity presented itself to me, and I could have looked and went, yeah, I can't do it. Yeah, it's not for me. Yeah, I would need to move. And I went, I've wanted to go there since I was 19. Now, well, I'm actually only 30, 30 at the time, 30, 31. And the opportunity arises in the middle of a separation and going through a divorce. <laughs> it's like, okay, do, do I take this? Do I not? I mean, and I'm like, no, I'm going. And again, that's another one of the huge transformation points in my life. You know, the military was one when you joined at 18. They completely, I'll say, metaphorically tear you down and rebuild you back up. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was such an awakening, like an a coming, a coming into myself that I don't think I, looking back, I've ever had that opportunity to truly embrace who I was because I was kind of afraid where I grew up. I was hiding. Like, no, didn't he do the things a lot of the other kids done? Stuck in at school, but didn't he fit in? And didn't he do the other things? And when I went to the military, it was one of the things like, okay, nobody knows me here. Nobody knows me. It was the first, it was the first kind of real thing I can I can come across that I went about judgment. And about the judgment I was placing myself in the environment that I was in or grew up in. It's like, oh, I get to be me. And that I get to be me thing is phenomenal. Now, there's, there's sometimes a safer places, but I only joined the Air Force. But that, as I said, that was that sort of eye-opening experience for me. I was like literally two months after my 18th birthday. It was like, yeah. I walked away from college. See ya. Part-time <laughs> job. See ya. Because I knew and I'd known for so long that that's what I wanted to do. Now, we'll blame Tom Cruise for that, right? Because this was... Uh, <laughs> This was back in the time of the first Top Gun. So looking forward to the new one, post this thing that's happening in the world right now. And I walked into the Air Force career offices. I want to fly planes. Now, remember I said to you I was arrogant and I didn't need the degree. Yeah, well, there's something about flying planes that the military kind of like you to have a degree in the UK. <laughs> so the guy at the other end of the careers office desk had a different idea. And he said to me, he says, Let's test you and see what happens. But I don't think you're flying planes unless you're going to university. I said, I'm not going to university. Well, these Muppets that I see at school going to university, I'm not going to them. Because I didn't fit in. Because I, I, I didn't know who I was then. Yeah. I had never that level of encouragement or awakening or awareness. And I'm like, I knew I didn't want to be them. I was in college with a bunch of engineers that for the steel industry had been shutting down. And they were going back to get retrained. So I was with guys that were tradesmen and all this kind of thing. I'm like, this is what I want to do. I want to fix stuff. Mm. And there was nobody could ever explain to me and say, well, if you go to university, this all happens. He's like, no, I'm joining the military. So this got the test, all that, and then got to pick you on my trades and ended up in a ground radar and comms trade. Oh. I saw airplanes <laughs> on Not radar. <laughs> on radar, you know, talk to them from the radio. But that was about my lot. But yeah, it's, it's, was it a dream dash? I suppose it was. Like, somebody's like, yeah, you're not good enough. I'm like, but I didn't take that, we don't think you're good enough and walked out that door and says, okay, I'm not going to. Or 
you know, like the world wants to say, it found my passion and my thing and I decided I am going to do that. No, I was like, okay, pivot. What's next? Because it was for me at that point, the point was is that I needed to get out. I didn't have time for another, or I didn't want to spend the time for another four years in there as an education. And then another X amount of time in this and time in that. I wanted it then. Now, have I learned patience since then? Yes, but I knew what I wanted, or not so much. I knew why I wanted away. Yeah. The thing that I thought was in my dream at that point was so far out, was just part of that thing. That makes sense. It's like the most important part for me wasn't so much the Air Force or flying the jet. It was the getting away from where I was and transforming and changing. You know, so yeah, flying planes would have been cool, but Granny Dan comes, it's a good laugh. It, it was kind of like if you could get the icing on the cake was if you could fly jets, but the whole thing was escape, escape, was home, get away, <laughs> right? Primary motive, man, was the primary motive. And I know some people will say, and I was accused of this going through the separation of came to Canada, I was like, oh, you're escaping. I'm like, no, I was on that journey since I was 19. This is the opportunity. I am just taking that opportunity. And I think well, where I was all the way around the bit of Billy Conley into the story and the idea of where I was coming from is, is that a lot of times I take a step back and think I'm fortunate to be where I'm. But I'm only fortunate because I was open to taking the chances that I took to be aware that balance them up what happens if I do and don't. So I think the quote was, fortune favours the prepared. I was prepping myself. I had the vision of what I wanted to be. Somebody threw a roadblock. I pivoted and found a different vision, but stuck to the, the road that I wanted to be for the reasons I wanted to be on it. And I think so often, and I've seen it as I'm through my military career, my corporate career, and where I'm now, is that and even in society, it's like, oh, get your vision, get this, and just go for it. It's like, I think they look at the vision incorrectly. It's what I've, I'm coming to see is what that vision actually is and the journey. And we're not prepared for the obstacle. We don't set up for that thinking, where's the roadblock, which I'm going to have to overcome. And that's how I think so many people get thrown off these things. It's like, oh, didn't expect that. But even if you didn't expect it, what's the recovery? Right. And it's your ability to recover that for me seems to one of the kind of catalysts and inherent traits and call it resilience, whatever you want, the bounce back. So I've, I've always been in this mindset. So gravitating into this kind of coaching things like, okay, why? Why? So it can make me, again, that probing aspect can come across as a wee bit hostile sometimes, even in the nicest form. It's very inquisitive. It's a deep sense of curiosity. It's like, why? Why are you feeling that? Why does this happen? So I come up with the idea, it's an experiment. And everything in life is an experiment. Nobody got it figured out. This idea is that it's an experiment. And what we have is a result. And at the end of the result, we get to decide. We analyze the result and what did it say? And then we decide, do we adopt it? Do we adapt it? Do we abandon it? And I think the hardest one for most people is the idea of abandon. This isn't working for me. There's so much out there in our culture right now that says, 
oh, no, 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 keep going, keep going. You know, we've all seen the, the guy digging the tunnel for diamonds. You know, if you just keep going. Yeah, but there's the aspect is you may have just kept going, but you could have died in that last swing or the cave could have collapsed or something else. You have to be prepared mentally, physically, emotionally to say, you know what? It's not working for me. It's back to that Air Force thing. When the guy said to me, you can't be a pilot. I could have went one way and took another five, six years of education, but it wasn't serving me for that point in time. I pivoted and went for something that was serving me. It's like, abandon that idea and I'll adopt a new idea and work with that one. And you work with it until it doesn't serve you. And I think it's the idea is that how is this serving me? How is this path? How is this journey? And I think, there's, again, there's so much out there that says, oh, you figure this mission out and do this. And people get caught in it thinking that's it. But it's not. That's just, a, that mission is typically just another waypoint. And when you succeed in that mission is you're a different person. And when you become that different person with different skills and different ideas and different experience and a different level of wisdom, you can become something again. And it's that reset. Okay, what's I'm going to do now? And what am I going to do now? And there's so much out there in the world that Disney talk about that. It's like set your vision, set your mission, and then go for it. Great. Then what? Yeah. What's next? That experience, you're also creating other questions because you're in a different place. You've, you know, your goal may have changed. Your ideas may have changed. Like you talked about. You've you know, changed. I'm, yeah, exactly. That's a, that's a core component of it. Yeah. You talked about, I was wanting to go fly planes, but getting out was your main objective. And so you, you adapted on that. And then you continued doing that for 11 years until you ended up at RIM. What was the difference? Because people accused you of escaping again. What was the difference like within you or when you joined the military versus when you, when you accepted the job at RIM and went to Canada, what was the difference for you that wasn't an escape? When you're in the military, you move, you go wherever you're told to go. Mm-hmm. You pack a box, you pack a bag. See ya, bye. You're going here. <laughs> I know you want to go here, but you're going here. So I was used to that idea of just moving. So moving to Canada for me was never this idea, whether it was going through that separation or through the escape. I was coming regardless. Wild horses couldn't have held me back. It was something I had as this dream. When it manifested itself, could not have predicted that. Could I have predicted somebody was going to have this advert in the paper? Was I actually out looking at the time to go to Canada? No. I was at a good job in Motorola. I was up until the separation, felt pretty stable in life. But when that opportunity presented, it's like I was prepared for it, even though I wasn't chasing it. I knew that I wanted, and I had this thing. It's like, yeah, I'll come. But it's been open to that and that awareness. So even though I'm saying I escaped for the environment I was in, back when I left home to join the military, it was something I had been preparing for because I knew I wanted to get out. So yeah, did I escape to Canada? Blinking right, I did. But it was a conscious escape. It wasn't like I have to go or I need to leave here. It was like, no, this was part of something I had dreamt about when the dream would happen, how it would occur. I hadn't even putting that in place. You know, I've almost seen, and I'm not bigging this, put it out to the world thing. 
so it's kind of weird. It's like I hadn't focused on it at that point, but I knew I had this feeling it was going to happen. So when it, the opportunity presented myself to me, I was aware of it. It was in my conscious thought. And it's like, I'm going for this. We'll make it happen. We'll figure this out now. But I came the next time, actually, because of where they targeted, if the guy sitting beside me hadn't presented the advert to me, two buddies told me a couple of weeks later, I was like, hey, did you see there's this company in Canada recruiting for engineers? They had deliberately targeted tech belts in the UK where factories like Motorola, Nokia, and all that were. So even if this one guy hadn't came to me, there would have been this other message, and there would have been this other sign, and this other sign. It's like, Donnelly, Donnelly, wake up. Somebody's <laughs> trying to tell you something. You know, so coming to Canada is like, I, I was very clear on what I did want, but I was also very clear on what I didn't want. Things I would tolerate and embrace versus things I would not tolerate any longer. And that helped propel me to where I'm now. So that understanding in me, you know, I've done a lot of soul searching through that period. I've done a whole bunch. And that's kind of really where I think I really, really started to dig heavy into personal development, neuroscience and psychology and philosophy. And, you know, I've done some counseling. It's like, okay, this is cool. Let's go. What did we talk about? You get to the counseling session and I'm like, okay, why are you here? Because they sent me. Typical male bravado. Because they sent me. Yeah, okay. But why are you really here? I don't know. Hoping you'll tell me. <laughs> you know, first session, you've got that sort of thing. Keep the walls. And I got to the end of the first session and she's like, she asked me the same question again. She says, why are you here? I'm like, does I know we've just been discussing for the last hour? It's like, no, no. She says, I'm actually serious this time. It's like, why are you here? You don't need to be here. You just needed somebody to turn around and say, here's the thought process and what you're thinking and the way you're rationalizing this is actually okay. You don't need to be here. I'm like, but can I be? <laughs> can I come back? Like, so why were you driving to be there? I mean, like. Part of it was, Abe, was that another level of that awakening, right? So getting through this divorce at the time, Canada's popping up on the map. I'm struggling with me thinking, you know, back to the, am I escaping? Is this the right move? Should I be sticking this out? Because I hate to fail, right? And that's one of the perfectionist paralysis things. I hate the idea of failure. Back then, I only seen the fail because that's the environment I was in. 12 hours a day, seven days a week, I was looking for things to fail. <laughs> I was analyzing failure. I was in that mindset. So... I was used to the idea of failing. Mm -hmm. So that's where the experiment comes in, is switching that mentality and that it's no failure. It's a result. And we're conditioned for that. Even in the most positive environments, we're conditioned to the idea of fail. And then we're told it's also a good thing, you know, because you learn for your failures. Now you learn through the results of your actions. And it sounds hokey and it sounds kind of almost in the positive psychology, but, and you could say that, but I think it's a slight change I have to make in my life that produced a kind of awakening for me that to, if I look at these things differently, it's like, I don't get attached as much to the result then. And by that, I don't mean, I still don't like to fail. I like to succeed. But what I am no longer is I am no longer failure. So the, the counseling thing for me was, or the therapy or whatever way you want to look at it, it was like, 
can, can, can I chat to somebody smarter than me in this particular field? Because there's only so much learning you can do in your own. It's like, you know more about this than I do. <laughs> I get the first session, I was like, okay, what book should I read? Introduce me and you say, of learning and literature and ideas and stuff like that. So it's just this constant idea of growth. And you learn, for, I'm always looking to learn from somebody smarter than me, better than me, more experienced than me. But typically they're in a very specialist subset. So I pick up all these tiny wee bits. And I think a boss of mine considered said to me one day, says, you've got a very kaleidoscopic attitude to the world, kaleidoscopic thinking. And I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> you can put things together that other people normally wouldn't have put together because of these different experiences and it produces the patterns that allow you. The therapy session is good because it, it introduced me in new stuff. It introduced me in new ideas, new thoughts, new thinking. And I went through it and got to the end and was like, this is the last one. But that was just another evolution yeah. of who I was. And it, it ended like weeks before I came to Canada. So I knew technically I wasn't escaping. I knew it was a begin again. You may I knew it was a closing a chapter. And yeah. you open it. It wasn't even closing a chapter. It was closing a book. Right? It was the end of one aspect of a trilogy and the beginning of a new one. And it was a whole new journey and a whole new story because it was a whole new me. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting when we look at like 19 year old you and like your your belief about university and going to learn later on like we've talked about you're you're actively pursuing knowledge self-improvement it's like there's a big transition in what you're open to learning from it seems like is that is that accurate Always been a growth person, always been a growth-minded person. The academic side of university and what I found was and through that whole journey of self-reflection and all the rest, you know, sometimes it took a decade plus to figure that out. It's what it was for me, and at least in my head, what was the point? And it was the same with the military. Even in the military, it's like, military would have paid for my degree. What was the point? It's not going to make me any better at the journey I'm on now. It doesn't make me any better at my job. As a 16, 17-year-old, university was like, what am I going to do with that? There was nobody saying, well, you know, if you went to university and learned this, it sets you up for this. Somebody said to me, you go to trade school, a tech school, you can become a plumber, an electrician, that, that joiner, blah, 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 that kind of thing. Because that's where I grew up. That was the type of environment I was in. That made sense to me. What the point of math was didn't make sense because you need to put it in a practical aspect. What was the point of physics? There was no practical aspect for me on that one. And that's the one I struggled with in 16, 17, 18. It's like, what's the point of this? And that doesn't mean that's not an argument. Nobody can actually tell me, and that's no fault of my parents. It's not any fault of the school. It's kind of just who we were back then. You know, it's like you want to see how it's going to tie into stuff so that you know that you spending the time is valued and you're going to get a result on the back end, right? That And that is kind of who I am. It's like, so the military thing was the same. Comms, cool. So when they said you're going to learn math, I went, no, cool. But I knew the point. I knew why. I had the reasoning behind it and the journey and I knew what part of that end game was. For university, never had an end game for me. 
And that was why nobody had really articulated and said, well, by the way, there's certain industries you've got any help to come in that that degree will be valuable. Turned out that I had to go and get it. <laughs> and I had to spend like two days a week at night school plus full-time job, family, all that kind of thing. Yeah. Extra pressure when I could have done it earlier, but my awareness of the need wasn't there. So I've always been in that kind of growth aspect. I've always geeked out in people. And part of that comes, I think, to having an alcoholic father. And some psychologists agree, some disagree, the idea of hypervigilance, the idea of your head's on a swivel, always looking for an issue, always trying to preempt any breakdown in communication or any, it wasn't physical violence, verbal, anything along those lines, arguments or that sort of thing in the house. I was just hyper aware of that. So I was attuned in to the emotional side, body language, facial stuff, but I didn't know it at the time. <laughs> Again, it was another... 20 years later before it made sense to me. And it made sense to me when I went in, and this is kind of, see if I, see if I can keep this one together. I get insomnia, insomnia and most of the medications don't work or didn't work. So my physician's like, do you fancy trying some alternatives? Like, Sign me up, you know, That's one for an experiment. Yeah, Let's go. We're going to send you this stuff, MBSR. So this is before kind of meditation and all that all became hip. So MBSR, Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction, developed by a guy called John Kabat-Zinn. So kind of modern father of that aspect of treatment. So I went in this course. And I lived in, I was in Oakville at the time, just outside Toronto. So I was catching a train in to Toronto, into the general hospital there. And I get the phone call. And my mom died. So my mom had cancer, glioblastoma. So I'm on this train and I get the phone call for the UK saying, mom's died. I'm like, okay, got to figure out how to get home now. But my first aspect was phone my wife, tell her what's happened. But my next thing was, I need to go and tell this person in the course that I can't attend the course for the next week or two. So I had this obligation. I was like, I can't miss this. I need to get to this. There's certain things. You know, so it just weird how things happen. So I walk in and I speak to this woman and really, really cool. Her name is Sarah Greenwood. I'd been through her own series of I think, two levels of cancer, a whole bunch of stuff. And she was just zen. Like you just went in her presence and it was like zen. It's like, so I'm, I'm saying there, it's like, I said, I'll not be able to come this week. And I said, I don't know if I'll be able to come next week, but can I come back in week three? She said, what happened? I said, oh, my mum died, blah, blah, blah. And I'm talking to her. And she said, when did this happen? I said, about an hour ago. And she's like, what? It's like, I just felt I had to come and tell you because I wanted to do this course, but I don't. Know. But she had a conversation with me as we got to know one hour through the course. And she went, she looked to me and we're talking at the end of the class one day and she went, your dad an alcoholic? So that one, it's like, yeah, I see a lot in me and you. I'm like, you're hypervigilant. This is where this is coming from. This is, and she pegged it like nothing on earth. But it's been something for me, I'll say that, has been one of the, and we'll use the cliche term, superpower. My background, while it defined me for certain things, I used it for a good aspect. It's like, how do you get in touch with people's emotions? You know, how do you motivate? How do you see that? So when you're leading something, to be able to see when you say something, mm -hmm. see change in the body language, anything along those lines, 
is just key. And I've always been hyper aware of that, but I said it took 20 years before I actually realized that everybody was like, oh, nope. And I had been tapping into that for years. And anybody out there, I'm not saying I was in there saying crossed arms, I flicker this stuff. No, these are people I knew and had seen day in, day out, day in, day out. Mm-hmm. So I had the baselines, I had how interactions, I had these kind of things, and I was just aware of how things changed. And when I would see them changing through the day to day, I was like, hey, how's everything going? Oh, yeah. Okay, what is it? Do you want to talk about it? And I had progressed in these things. And so I had been in that coach's type mentality for decades. I just thought that's who you had to be. All this, the four boys was always the kind of questions, always looking to improve myself, passing that information on, encouraging people outside their comfort zones. And that kind of plays to who, you know, one of the journeys of discovery through the therapy thing, I'm codependent. So I get satisfaction about fixing other people's issues. It's part of who my growth was. Now, it was part of the reason my first marriage destroyed because I felt I could always keep fixing it. And I could always keep fixing it. And it was my responsibility. And did she feel like you were trying to fix her? Or did she, was she aware of that? No, it lasted a lot longer than it should have lasted. Oh. <laughs> I was too stupid to give up. Right? And that's the thing. is like having the courage to say this enough's enough. But in me, and I didn't, I didn't come to that awakening and know what codependency was until I had therapy. I only had therapy because it had broke down. But when the awareness door opens, if you don't change at that point, that's on you. Because when your awareness is raised, then you have no excuse. So I mean, I had to get clear on the things I was prepared to accept and not accept. And that awareness can be scary because it means that you, I was going to say it means you have to change. No, you don't have to change. But if you don't change, it's always a choice. It is always a choice. If you don't change, don't complain. Right? If somebody raises an awareness to you and you want to sit there and hide and deny it and go away, don't come whinging. But if you make conscious effort to change, it's not always going to go right. Then I'll listen to you. Then we help. Then we do that. But you have to be responsible. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the things that got me in trouble in corporate. I took that same attitude into corporate building teams. It's like, Got to be responsible for my people. You're responsible for some of their growth. No, they're responsible. Like, no, no, no. That's what leading is. You have to be part of that journey with them. You know, you have to show them and you have to be responsible and you have to push. No, that's their job. It's like, no, that's you making your job easy and that's you managing and no leading. And it's that's what I... Did it have consequences? Yeah, everything has consequences. But I can live with the consequences because I know that there were none of them in a negative aspect. I was always looking for the betterment of the person and the people on my team and all the rest. And I was involved. Yep, and it played to some of my codependency. But I knew there were levels I had to kick off and take a step back. But with your, with your codependency, how does that play out between like you and your wife? Like your current wife, you know, you you talked before about I take a so my wife's a counselor as well by profession so that can get interesting (laughs) but again it was one of the conscious choices i had made one of these conscious choices is is that as a codependent i would try and fix things and no communicate 
I would take the responsibility. It's my fault, it's my. And you know, there are people out there saying that's the ultimate growth mindset. You're always accountable. I agree with that. You're always accountable for you. You're always accountable for how you show up, what you say. And there's a level of accountability in how that impacts and makes somebody else feel and their level of emotion and all the rest. So I had learned through the experience is that don't wait to the straw that breaks the camel's back. If there's a heated situation for whatever that situation might be, eh, don't dive right in right there and then, because that's never good because the red mist of anger can come down or that negative emotion set and logic goes right out the window. You take a step back, you breathe, and you come back in and say, hey, you know that discussion we just had of that thing I just happened? It's like, wasn't it cool? Wasn't it good? I was here. This No, make excuses, but here's where we are. This is the explanation. I want to help. You'd ask for help. I hear you that it wasn't necessarily what you expected. What do you need me to do for you? Mm. And I started doing that from the very, very beginning. So I'm not saying I've never got to the straw, but it happens a heck of a lot less because I'm human. It was just part of who I was growing up. It's part of what makes me me. It's the experience that turns me who I am. I can let it control me and define me, or I can let it push me forward. I choose to take these things and push me forward as best I can. You're taking, so, you're, you're taking like who you are and your experiences and you're looking for where's the healthy place within that to put your experiences, your gifting, your abilities in a, to use in a positive way, understanding that if they go too far, then it can become a negative, right? And it's that, con- I think it's a conscious awareness here. Yeah. If I always need, if I was trying to bury it deep down, it's going to keep coming back. But I've done the work and it's scary work. It's it's not nice to sit and reflect on yourself like that and where it comes from. But that same reflection, you got. I, I think you have to watch because you can over-reflect and you can, you know, it's breaking that cycle and these are the reasons and these are these things. Like, No, you just, I think you need to be able to dive in sit with it, get comfortable with it, analyze it and have some kind of mechanism for you, whatever your mechanism is, kind of to everybody's different to bring you back out. And it's like, okay, done that. What do you know? What have I learned? Because the minute you walked in, the person you are when you came out the other end is completely different. Don't care what anybody says. And whether that journey was five minutes, five hours, five weeks, five months, five years, that step out is like, that is a new level of you. And I had taken all these kind of journeys. Some were small steps, some were big steps. It's been aware of the stuff that can bring you down, being aware of the stuff that can lift you up and putting yourself in situations and environments and that, that can cultivate one versus the other. But when the other pops, knowing that, oops, I'm there again, let's get out of this. And it's if you have the ability to noggin it, that rumination that keeps kicking in and kicking in and kicking in, you know, I've been depressed. I've allowed it to get to me. You know, the first time is actually going through a divorce. Oh my God. Went to the doctor and I'm just like, why are we here? And the first thing I said to him was, I was looking at the military. I was quite fit. I was at the gym, all these kind of things. And that's the first thing at my mouth was like, can we deal with the crying thing first? Sure. Yeah. You know, and, but again, there was a conscious choice. I'm like, 
I'm going for a run. And that was my therapy. It literally was my therapy. It was, I was back at the gym. I was running. I started to eat healthier. And this all came at the time of coming to Canada. So I was in this whole turmoil. And I mean, we all get the black dog. You know, it's, I've burnt out, been there, done that. Just killing it the corporate lifestyle. I used to think insomnia was a superpower. I can work like 16 hours a day and still go home and be with a family. Whoa. Yeah. You know, I did that for so long. Burning the candle at both ends. Yeah. It's very different for you now, though. I mean, it's like I watch you and it's like your your Friday nights, like recently (laughs) you've been making pizza and listening to Above and Beyond, like their their show. And I'm like, yeah, that's that's what it's about. Or like you said me earlier, you've got in the background of in your office there, you've got a stormtrooper helmet and you and your son decorated it. I'm like, dude, that's the stuff. That I think most of us, when you're talking about working that 16 hours, man, we miss that stuff. Our kids are missing the opportunity. Our spouses to, to have these memories created and you're being intentional about it. And I love it because you're making pizza. It's like, you know what? It's so much easier. I could go to pizza hut and get a pizza, but here's the dough and we're putting it in the oven. And, and here's dad embarrassing his kids doing a dance. I, I like the way you just say that intentional. Yeah. It's setting the intent. That's who I want to be. That's how I want to show up. And it's conscious and it's part of that bigger mission. You know, the perfect day, the ideal day that I want to aim towards. And it's the example. We mess up our kids. We're the only people that do it. Or we are one of the biggest responsibilities for messing up. We can't have to turn my hands at school and all the kind of things and outside the environment. But we as parents have one of the biggest responsibilities to mess up our kids as little as we possibly can. And even as a conscious parent, as a parent who geeks out in parenting and psychology and emotional development for children and all these kind of things, I still make mistakes. And I believe we need a new generation of like strong, confident human beings who actually have the empathy to look out for other people Balanced with the courage to go out and do what they want to do, to become the people they want. Not the people I want. Not the people, it's like, who do they want to be? How do they want to change the world? Right? It's not, well, dad thinks you should go and do this job, or dad thinks, mom thinks you should go and do that job, and you should go to university for these reasons. It's like, no, how do you want to change the world? And let's figure out how to make that happen. And we need it because we, we hear it. I mean, I was there for the first millennials entering the workspace. Gen X messed them up. The participation trophies and all that other stuff. It's like, oh, don't say no. The world says no to you. The world doesn't give you a participation trophy for showing up. And if you don't know how to do that, if you're not educated how to do that, if you're no, you don't have that experience, then you don't know how to deal with it. And parents are hard, man. Oh, my God. Like, when I talk about experiments, there is the ultimate experiment. Yeah, with three kids, one kid, whatever, but three, every one of them is different. Every one of them requires a different set of motivations, a different set of treatments, a different, but there's some core aspects, you know, that has to be there. And I think your responsibility as a parent to make sure that they are prepared as best you possibly can for them to go out in the world to be those kind of people. And that's one of the things I talk about a lot. That's why I'm writing kids' books. 
I mean, I'm writing them. It's tougher getting them illustrated, but <laughs> it's to produce that bonding moment early on, and particularly with dads that Disney happened because I know that we're in dual income families and mums work as hard as dads, but mums consciously take a bigger part and a role in that in society. Even now, dads not necessarily at the same level. So I want to create that thing for dads as well as like, not just sit and read. Just 20 minutes to read, man. And I think yeah. what you said earlier is doing the best you can. We get so caught up in being perfect. And it's like, when you talk about each of your children being unique, it's like, even if you figure it out on the first, the second one's going to be different. So you're trying to refigure it. And then the third, guaranteed, they're going to be different. You do the best you can. I can speak to it from the aspect of having not done well in the beginning and your kids will catch on. If you're trying to really build a bridge with them, I think there's a lot of room for forgiveness. doesn't mean every time they will or every child will, but more times than not, I think children are forgiving. They want that relationship with mom and dad. You know, it's, it's, it's a longing for it. You can recover. It's just do the best you can and continue to walk through and be real you're dancing in the kitchen with them and they're just looking at like, yeah, so yeah. you yeah. don't have I mean, to be perfect. You can scar them. Only one of them likes my above and beyond music. The other one likes his rap and his hip hop and all the rest. The middle one, she just likes to sing anything. Right. She's, she's more middle of the road kind of stuff, but it's been intentional. It's, and it's setting it life with that intent. Have I got it nailed down to what I think or would I like to be my ideal day? No. Are there aspects in my ideal day pop up most days? Yes. Are there some days that none of them pop up? Heck yes. But I think we get caught in the trap that it has to be that ideal day every day all the time. It can't. And if anybody out there says that it is, then there's a level, I start, I'll say again, there's a level of awareness that they're lacking. Because unless you actually map out what you want it to look like, you don't know what you don't know. I sometimes wish for that level of blissful ignorance, right? Because if you're running about thinking, I don't know what I don't know, then I don't care. I think in some aspects it can be powerful. But once you open that door of awareness, you can't go back. How does it look <laughs> it's like Pandora's box. Right. Yeah. So, I, and again, if anybody that's listening to your podcast, they're opening a door. The awareness door's open. They're listening to it for a reason. They can't close it again. Right. So, they're on their journey. And they got to know is that there are days it sucks. Yeah. But we got to embrace that suck. And I know it's a military based term. Kind of don't know exactly. Somebody will say it's SEAL, somebody will say it's this. You don't need to be special operations to know that you have to embrace the suck. But if you know it's going to suck, you can prepare for the suck. Yeah, you just got to give yourself the grace to go through it because it's like, otherwise, you're going to suck by not doing anything. It's a beautiful word, by the way. That is an awesome word. It's one I don't use enough. You got to give yourself the grace to go through it. A lot of people talk about self-esteem, self-worth, self-compassion is one of the biggest things that we are missing. And that's where your word for me, for me anyway, that word grace comes in. It's like, you're your aim was critic for the most part. The person that looks back in the mirror is the person that probably dislikes you the most. 
again, probably for anybody that's listening to this, because they're on a journey. It's like, I can be better than this. You're, you're going to give yourself the hardest choice. And it, for me, you know, I, I said I had a way for this coaching game for long enough. Not doing it, not doing it, not doing it. <laughs> the devil was winning. Don't do it, don't do it. Hide, hide. And I did. I had for a while. I stayed hidden. You know, it was... But you have to look at it and you have to live. <laughs> the wake up is like, so what kind of hypocrite are you going to be today, Donnelly? You know, are you going to be the hypocrite that talks about experiments and no actual experiment? Are you going to be, you know, if it's no the one day, every day kind of pepper, like what hypocrite are you going to be today? And you got to answer that and have that wee sense. Like none of them. I'm not going to be that person today. And anybody out there that thinks I talk to myself would be correct. Anybody that thinks I'm crazy, well, I'm only a wee bit crazy. But there's actually science out there and neuroscience and research out there that says that the people who talk to themselves actually have a healthier mental attitude because they go into that debate. Yes. No. Now, I'm not saying you have to have two wee people on your shoulder, but actually it can help. It's a conversation. And if you can actually have the conversation outside your head, it feels real. If you can have that debate outside your head. So, yeah, I try not to do it in public because you take it some weird looks. But I will have that conversation. You know, if you can't get somebody to bounce it off, yeah. like your therapist or a, a close friend or any of these kind of things, I think men definitely struggle with that one more than women. I think there's a societal thing in that one, and it's proliferated for a lot of different avenues. Men need to find that healthy chat. Men need to find that place where they can just be them and be emotional if they need to be. It's not a bad thing. I think most of us go through like a silent suffering. It's like, we're still experiencing, but we don't express it because we're, we're concerned about how we're going to be perceived. The thing is we get caught in our own head and going, it's, it's just me. That's worried about the finances. It's just me. That's having problems with, with my marriage or, or struggling with my children. You know, they're not behaving. What do I do? There's this whole knowledge and and support and community that could be available if we just speak up if we just take that chance it's those outside voices i mean like the problem is when i've gone to the darkest places is when i'm only listening to myself and i just go on like a spin cycle and it compounds and compounds and compounds mm-hmm. It's when I reach out to somebody, like I go, Hey, I'm feeling like this. Let me call Grant. Let me call whomever and just go, Hey, I'm struggling. This is what's going on. When you went, you talked about going to the therapist and she's like, well, why are you here? You just needed to bounce something off and it's part of hearing it, but it's also then getting somebody's, somebody else's perspective because we can get into tunnel vision and just get absolutely lost. But it has to be a person that they trust enough, right? There's a barrier there that we need to break down. And, you know, I'm not saying in any deep work and go all kumbaya and run about hugging one another and all that kind of things. It can just be a matter of sit down and talking. For me, I used to be one of the terms used in the middle is pull up a sandbag. Tell a yeah. story, man. Just pull up a sandbag and tell a story. Share an experience. Because until you share, you don't know what anybody else can through. Right. Uh, so we have talked about you going into the military, then working in tech. What is life for you now? What do things look like both on the personal side and on the, the, the business side? So I'm working on 
that ideal day for me, right? And it's set in, at the moment, it's 12 months in the future. I actually have at least one book, possibly two released. Now, these are kids' books. At the time of writing it, it was just a book. But now there's mere clarity and it's like, oh, I want to write kids' books. I want to find illustrations and stuff like that and illustrate kids' books because I think that's the, that's the Trojan horse, right? So while all the coaching and stuff I do would be moms and dads, high performers or high achievers, you know, just looking to break through to the next level or to find a new harmony in life. It's really not about them. Sorry, guys. It's about the kids. It's, that's my Trojan horse. It's like we, we need to be better parents and it's better parents for us. They become better human beings. They'll become better parents. And the better parents they become is the less messed up we all become. You know, we can become better, but we still have a better, a bigger and better and more opportunity with them. So I'm figuring that harmony yet. I don't like the term balance. It's a, try and get away from that one because it's so overused, but the harmony. So I get to take my kids to school in the morning. That is just something the way I structure my day. Now, one of them should get the bus, but he always managed to catch me. Dad, can take me to school? Yeah, cool. You know, so we get a wee chat with him before he goes to school. I'll come back and I'll start my day. And, you know, my ideal day is, so I've got an ideal day scenario, and then I've got the ideal, how I want my day to run, like a schedule, so a time block. Mm. But I'm learning as I go is that, you know, a lot of this stuff that's out there in the world is like, gotta kill the morning. Yeah, see, it's not me. I can get up at half five. Used to think it would be meditating. It's still, and one of the things is a wee bit of meditation, but, you know, I don't meditate. It doesn't, it doesn't do anything for me in the morning. So I dump my meditation into the mid-afternoon because it re-energizes me. Mm. So it brings me back in. I watch my energy levels as they go through the day. I am more creative in the afternoon. Mm. So if I try and sit down and write something in the morning, it's not happening. It's like, bang, head, screen. I get all the techniques. I get free writing. I know how to do all this other stuff. But that's just nowhere my energy cycle is. Where. So it's about that awareness. So I have to tweak my day. You know, yesterday I had stuff planned. Didn't happen because the pool guy didn't show up. He told me it was coming. Did he come? Back to our self-compassion. Don't be too hard on yourself. Keep moving forward. And I understand that I'm in a very fortunate position in working for myself and allowed to structure my days the way I want. But I used to take a lot of the same aspects in the corporate. Do I need to go to this meeting? No. Okay, I'm going. See ya. Does this meeting need to be for another? Don't know. Okay, can we make it 30 minutes? Sure. Do we have a, an agenda? Sure. Let's get in. Let's get it done. Let's get out. You know, I'd structure my day as best as possible. I'd time block it. And I knew what ones to attend and what ones not to attend based on who I was and try to indicate that. So I'm doing that just now. One of the ones, like I said, but even though I know it, I still try to write stuff yesterday in the morning, thinking, gotta fill my time because this guy's shown up, so I can't do that task. I'm like, got frustrated myself because I went outside my own awareness trying to fill in a gap that I shouldn't have done. Right? I talk to my kids. <laughs> so my kids are kind of social. We try and have dinner every day, even with the sport, you know. So I've got two in competitive swimming. And we try and have dinner every day at the table. You know, just one of the things I thought would be a feel was very, very important. Try and eat healthy, not so much. Try and get a wee bit of exercise, that's not working so well. 
but these are the things I just keep working towards. It's like, I need to set the intent. I need to set the intent. You know, one of the big things I've been working on recently is, I mentioned it before, is insomnia. The drugs don't work. All right. So I tried everything. And it has been a series of incremental changes. And there was a game changer for me, as stupid as it sounds. It was a game changer I had three or four months ago. Thanks, James Nestor. I go to bed with my mouth tape shut. <laughs> Turned my sleep right round. Mm. You know, but I was breathing through my mouth. No designing to breathe through my mouth. The minute I started forcing my breathing through my nose, my deep sleep completely switched for being like a 70 light, 30 deep. And I get anybody out there that talks about tracking devices, it's the constancy of my tracking device. It monitors the same all the time. I'm not talking about the accuracy. I have done sleep studies. I know that they're not as accurate as a full sleep study. It's the consistency of the same device and the same measurement technique. I went from like a 70-30 to a 30-70. It's a 30% light, deep, or 30% light, 70% deep, like completely in the matter of days, switched it around. This isn't real. Come on, this is fake. But it was consistent then, day after day after day. I think it's you're using that same mindset that you talked about as far as like raising your kids and and working with them. You know, doing the best you can. You're doing the best you can. One area is going to excel. Another area may not quite as excel as much. But you're still pushing it forward. You're not going. I didn't make it today. I didn't make it this week. Yeah. I didn't make it this month. You're still getting back up and getting back in there and working at it and trying little hacks and changes. And it's like, that's how we find success. If you don't try, you can't, you can't get there. Yeah. And you have to find what works for you. I think there's so many, you use the word term hacks. There's so much out there. It's like, how do you hack this? How do you hack this? It's like my hack might not be the hack for you. So that's how when I'm any of the coaching I'm putting towards is that this is not a hack. This is not a here's it's not even a recipe. It's a combination of recipe and teaching you how to cook. Or it's a combination of so say here's the things I use, here's why they use, here's what it is. You do one, it'll be good. But if you compound two and three and four and five in together, you figure out which combination of those works for you. You know, I want to bring the, raise the awareness, open the door, provide the knowledge and provide the confidence. But one of the things I've done for when my kids were little, and we haven't been as good at it in the last 12 months, is the idea of gratitudes. Again, before it became hip and trendy, I was like, to get kids like literally that they could speak. So what are you grateful for today? Now, nine times out of 10, it's like food, food, treats, food. It was near the output. It was the mindset idea. It's like reflecting your day. What is it? You know, and it's one of the ones is like, don't ask that kind of closed questions. Hey, so uh, did you have a good day today? No. What kind of day did you have today? The same idea is, is that what's been the best part about your day? It forces a level of reflection that says, okay, what was the best part? Surely there's something outside. So, you know, you talk about something that's just it's kind of the sun come up. When you're in that dark place, sometimes that's enough. Like, you know, the smile, anything, you know, and it's the idea is that you have to look back and reflect. So I've been doing that with my kids at dinner table. But then as that progressed, we started introducing a new one. What's the one thing that didn't go right for you? 
or didn't he go well? And then he introduces like, how can we do that better? So it can get quite deep sometimes, a philosophical conversation at dinner, but, and then it's dishes time. I cook, they clean. That's a nightmare. I honestly, it is a nightmare. Like they just constantly want to fight who's doing what. But it's part of that idea is that are at least earning them for when they leave. You know that somebody's cooking, you're cleaning. Looking after the house, you have to be able to do that when you leave this house. Well, so you have to know how to do it properly. And, yeah, it's teaching them to work together as well and, and yep. you know, to help out. And when you're talking about, you know, what's what are you grateful for? And I mean, you're helping them communicate and reflect. And it's like they may fight you, but just because they fight you doesn't mean it's not <laughs> Me? having the Me? impact, right? So buddy. Yeah, so that's kind of my day, you know. Like I said, Disney always go the way I want. Doesn't matter how much I map it out. Doesn't matter how much I time block with things and say what I want to do. It doesn't always work. It's the ability to pivot when it doesn't go your way. It's the ability to say, why? It's the ability to look at it and go, what do you need to do different? And we don't teach that stuff. We're just like, environment I grew up in, it is what it is. That's just the way it goes. Don't expect any different. Grant, if you would, how can people get in touch with you? And then if you would share where they can find you as far as your podcast. So we just need to, again, give that warning. Make sure the ladies don't listen to it because otherwise you're going to have his swooning voice. Just uh. I, I, I tend to talk less in my own podcast and it's called The Unbeatable Life. And you can find us on all major podcast platforms. And I just, you know, I haven't got to the stage just having my own little conversations. It's just guest interviewing like yours. And you can find me on my website. So it's G-R-A-N-T-D-O-N-N-E-L-L-Y. And I go to .com as well. Now, depending on the accent you've been in long enough, you might actually understand what I'm saying. <laughs> so spelling it out may or may not work for you. I'm on Facebook under Grant Donnelly can't miss me and i am on instagram and i'm on linkedin and grant donnelly so i've been i like instagram more than i like facebook but each platform has its own things and i'm on youtube i haven't produced my podcast recently on youtube but i will be doing more content on there more kind of videos more information more kind of teaching you know sharing the wisdom that comes through experience in life so we did not. And if you listen to uh, Grant's wife and, and children, he doesn't have an accent, but uh, <laughs> you can be your own judge. Well, thank you, my friend. And uh, we will catch you soon. Awesome, buddy. Take it easy. Cheers, man. Thanks so much, my friend, for joining me on another episode. If you found the information within the show helpful, please leave a review on the platform you're listening to. It helps raise the show's visibility so other men can join us in Breaking Free. See you on the next episode and remember to continue putting yourself out there. Have a great one.